the revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. For years, civilizations have engaged in kelp cultivation for a myriad of uses, including food production, the development of health supplements, the production of renewable sources, and as a way to protect ocean habitats and biodiversity. But as concerns over climate disasters grow, researchers and companies around the world are now looking to this form of seaweed as a way to fight climate change. On the local front, the California Coastal Commission approved a proposal to begin giant kelp farming. It has joined forces with Primary Ocean, which is a company based in San Pedro, California, that fights climate change through seaweed cultivation and commercialization. Their goal is to draw down carbon levels to help fertilize soil. Some experts say kelp farms won't do enough to fight greenhouse gases. While kelp has proven to remove carbon from the atmosphere, scientists say seaweed farming would not make enough of a contribution to lowering worldwide carbon emission levels. With us to discuss the issue is Robert Eagle, UCLA Assistant Professor with the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability, Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences. He joined Digital Village co-host Leilani Albano. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. There's been discussions around creating kelp farms as a way to reduce carbon dioxide levels. What are your thoughts and will it be enough to fight climate change? I think there's a lot of benefits from kelp and expanding kelp coverage and protecting the kelp that we've already got there. I think carbon sequestration is one potential benefit from kelp, but there are a number of challenges, I think, in terms of seeing it as a really effective way of combating human carbon emissions. So there are a number of issues, for example, the cost effectiveness and whether it can really be scaled up to be a kind of large enough effect to really make a kind of global difference. But that shouldn't take away from the fact that there are numerous benefits from from having healthy kelp environments. Well, before we start, can you tell us what is kelp? Is it seaweed? And how exactly does it absorb carbon dioxide? Yeah, so kelp is a type of algae. Um, so you might think of algae as like kind of kind of diffuse, kind of free-flowing, free-floating kind of brown sludge maybe, but kelp is a, a type of algae that just forms a very large structure. Um, it uh, has a kind of, it grows in shallow coastal environments where it attaches to rocks. It has a very strong kind of um, attachment to the the rocky surface to allow it to exist in areas of high wave action. Uh, But then it grows really quite long um, structures all the way from the the base of the ocean all the way to the surface. And significantly, it's a photosynthetic organism. So it grows to the surface so it can get sunlight at the surface of the ocean. 
And the process of photosynthesis is one where carbon dioxide is drawn uh, either by terrestrial plants out of the atmosphere or by marine plants and algae from the ocean. So it converts carbon dioxide in the ocean into its plant or algal material. What is its function in the ocean? Is it there just as food? I guess it doesn't really have a function, but it forms a niche where it, it's this kind of base species that forms an environment in the shallow marine coastal environments. So when you don't have kelp, you often have kind of rocky, barren, rocky environments that can be relatively low in biodiversity. Uh, but kelp are really, you know, kind of the forests of the ocean in some sense. And when kelp is present, you get a really kind of diverse uh, ecosystem with lots of different types of fish and marine invertebrates supported. So it's really kind of beneficial for creating an environment in the similar sort of way that trees create forest environments and corals create coral reef environments that support high biodiversity. So I can see in a way how it does help to function in terms of photosynthesis because of all of its buoyancy. Yeah, so the buoyancy is needed to support the photosynthesis because if the kelp was just attached to the bottom of the ocean, it wouldn't get very much light. And so it attaches to the rocky bottom, but then it grows all the way to the surface where it can get enough light to photosynthesize effectively. So that's where the buoyancy comes in. And, and kelp has, has kind of evolved to have these kind of buoyancy sacs or these air sacs, which allow it to form these kind of large canopies that stretch up to the, the surface of the, the oceans. Has there always been interest in using kelp as a way to reduce greenhouse gases, or is this just a recent discovery? Yeah, so I think there's a whole focus on what's called blue carbon, and this is not just kelp, but other types of marine plant and algal environments. So it's kelp, it's seagrasses, it's things like mangroves, and it refers to both the carbon that's taken in by the plant or algae to form its structures, but it's also the carbon that may be buried in the, the sediment or the, the ocean bottom environment associated with mangroves or seagrasses, for example. And so there has been a lot of focus on blue carbon in total, of which kelp is an example, as a, basically a way that carbon is taken out of the ocean system and stored away from the atmosphere uh, for a period of time. And obviously with concern over human CO2 emissions, you know, people are looking at all sorts of different ways that we can potentially mitigate that. And so carb increasing carbon drawdown into different types of sink, like forests or ocean systems, is one way we could potentially mitigate uh, our own CO2 emissions. Okay. And now we see a lot of business interests in kelp farming. Can you tell us about that? So I think it would be fair to say that purely based on carbon sequestration, there are some challenges with the use of kelp. So the main issue with using it as a way to mitigate CO2 emissions is that for that to be effective, you really need it not just to draw down the CO2, but to store it away from the atmosphere or the ocean for a, a long period of time. And what you tend to see with kelp is that it grows very quickly, seasonally, 
so it can grow, you know, meters high in one year, one season. But then at the end of its growing season, it actually dies. And so all that algal material kind of breaks down and the carbon eventually gets released again. But there are some people that are kind of looking at the potential, whether that can be modified by growing kelp and then creating devices where it's actually sunk to the bottom of the ocean. So rather than sort of dying and floating at the top of the ocean, some people have proposed that you could farm kelp and either take it out of the water and use it for other purposes or sink it to the bottom of the ocean uh, where it will stay away from the atmosphere for a much longer period of time. You have to see kelp as um, growing kelp and cultivating kelp through farming or through conservation efforts in natural environments as something that has multiple benefits. So there's an element of it drawing down CO2, but there's also an element of using it as a food source, which is very popular in some parts of the world, in East Asia, for example. Native American people use kelp and seaweed as, as food. So there was an interest in that. And there's also an interest in growing kelp as a way of mitigating the effects of ocean acidification, which are threatening things like the oyster shellfish industry on the US West Coast. And so if you can grow oysters in the presence of kelp, there's some evidence that that may actually help mitigate the effects of ocean acidification. So I guess the point I would make is that there are sort of whole series of economic and environmental issues tied up to kelp. And so while kelp may not be the most efficient way of sequestering CO2 from the atmosphere uh, that we have available in combination with these other economic and environmental benefits of kelp. There's a lot lot to like about kelp as a, as a kind of environmental solution or a way of environmental change. So you have to look at the whole picture, not just the CO2 sequestration. Right. Like In, in other words, maybe it may not in and of itself fight all the issues around climate change, it helps ocean life, it helps with food production and so forth. Yeah, so, you know, kelp sustains biodiversity in our shallow marine environments, our coastal environments, can be a source of food, it can help mitigate the impact of ocean acidification on fisheries, like oyster fisheries, if the oysters are grown in in close contact to kelp. So you have to look at the big picture, basically, to see the real benefit from kelp, I would say. So how does kelp farming work? So kelp farming can work by people basically kind of planting kelp on little floating buoys, or they can clear areas of the ocean floor to encourage kelp to grow. And when it does so, the kelp will can grow very, very quickly and perform a process known as photosynthesis, which draws carbon dioxide out of seawater um, into the, the kelp structure and therefore it's kind of removing carbon dioxide from the ocean and that's of interest to people that are interested in uh, carbon mitigation. And so how, how long do they plan to keep the kelp down there? For a, an effective carbon sequestration it's generally thought that you have to have a process that will remove that carbon from the ocean or atmosphere for a hundred years. So if you grow kelp with the idea of drawing CO2 out of the atmosphere, the idea is that it would have to go down into the ocean sediment and the carbon uh, contained in the kelp would have to stay there for a hundred years to really be uh, effective. 
And do we know what kind of impact that might have on the ocean to have all of this help stored with carbon dioxide down there? I think there's probably a lot of capacity for carbon storage in sediments that's not yet been realized. So I don't think that's a a problem. There's periods of Earth history where we've had much higher carbon dioxide levels uh, than we have at the moment. Um, And so there's been lots of carbon burial into ocean sediments at those times as well. So there's a lot of potential to store carbon in the deep ocean for sure. Do we know what impact that's going to have on sea life? Do we know if it's going to be negative? How can we even have an idea if we haven't done it before? I don't think carbon burial into ocean sediments is necessarily going to be, you know, it's a natural process that occurs. When this happens, you might get conversion of like a sandy bottomed ocean floor environment to a more kind of muddy carbon rich sediment. But that's kind of natural. You see that in all sorts of different ocean environments. But as you were saying, you don't think that this method is enough to really address the excessive carbon dioxide levels that we're dealing with? Yeah, so the IPCC, as I mentioned, report suggested that blue carbon, which includes kelp, seagrass, mangroves and salt marshes, may mitigate only up to 2% of the total current CO2 emissions. So it can perform a small part of our carbon mitigation, but we clearly have to look at other ways, uh, reducing our emissions and maybe other types of CO2 sequestration technologies as well. Well, it's, it's interesting that despite that statistic, you do hear about companies that are thinking about investing in this. Yeah, so I think there are companies that are starting to do this. I think there's some way for it being economic, and I guess they're kind of looking to see whether there will be other companies or governments that will provide subsidies to increase the efficiency of this or the economic viability of this approach. But yeah, there are companies looking at it for sure. There's a company in Iceland that uh, have a kind of algal growth system that they're kind of pioneering as a way of offsetting the country's carbon emissions. That's kind of interesting case because, you know, in the country of Iceland, they can't plant forest, for example. So some other mechanisms that that country might have to mitigate its carbon emissions aren't necessarily available to them. And so this technology might be potentially more attractive in that kind of environment. And I would think that that would be really advantageous for them, right? Because wouldn't trying to grow regular forest it seems like a lot more of a hassle than trying to grow kelp because you don't have these land issues. Yeah, so growing forests on land is generally seen as a very efficient way of mitigating carbon emissions, but there are issues with it. So you have to have the right climate and you have to have the right amount of land to actually plant the forests. Many countries may not have the right climate. So, you know, in Southern California, growing large forests is not really an option. The same in Iceland. But in other countries, the land may be needed for food production. And so returning it to forests may not be an option because of the country's uh, food production demands. Uh, So that's why people looking at CO2 mitigation tend to look at not just the most efficient way or the easiest way, but actually kind of looking at a kind of patchwork of approaches. And that's where things like kelp and marine algae may come in. 
as just a sort of component of an overall strategy. And can you tell us about other extraction methods? What about factories that suck down CO2 levels? Are they effective? Yeah, so CO2 capture and storage has received a lot of attention. And the attractiveness of that is that you might have a factory or a power plant that produces CO2. Tell us about carbon neutrality and how is it connected to kelp? Uh, So carbon neutrality is the idea that a country or an economy may balance the CO2 it emits as part of its industrial and economic activity with sequestration. So typically to achieve carbon neutrality, you'll do a combination of reducing your emissions, but also doing things uh, that offset the emissions. So growing forests or other types of carbon capture or storage, which could include encouraging kelp and seagrass and other blue carbon environments. There's been some kind of criticism around carbon neutrality. It's, is it essentially addressing the kinds of carbon levels that we're dealing with? I guess you're asking about whether the mitigation or the carbon sequestration is really an effective component of achieving neutrality or whether we should really focus on reducing emissions. So that's where the controversy comes into some of these things, where a country and the sort of international negotiations over climate change may say, well, we're not really cutting our carbon emissions, but look, our forests are growing. So maybe we don't have to cut our emissions as much and things like that. So that's where where kind of some controversy comes into the discussion of carbon neutrality. Right. And is it the same thing as net zero? Well, net zero is the point where your emissions equal your, your mitigation or your CO2 sequestration. I think with uh, carbon drawdowns, carbon sequestration component, the question has to be asked, how efficient is this? Like, how much money do you have to spend on it for it to be scalable to a kind of meaningful level? And then the question is, how does that amount of money compare to the amount of money that you might spend reducing your CO2 emissions in the first place? So by having electric cars or reducing emissions from factories and things like that. That's the equation that has to go into determining the best way to reduce overall CO2 emissions and moving towards a carbon neutral economy. And also, tell us about these kind of goals that we have around 2030 and 2050. I mean, do we have time to be even be messing around with these types of approaches that we're not really sure about? Yeah, so I think at the moment, only about nine countries have have committed to be carbon neutral by 2050. So it's not a goal that is necessarily very easy to achieve. But by setting that goal and trying to move towards it, there will be significant benefits. My personal view is that CO2 sequestration, as all climate change solutions, is potentially important and needs to be looked at. But I also think in the short time frame that we have to take action, there are perhaps more obvious things that we should focus on, like insulating houses, having more efficient cars and aeroplanes, looking at ways of reducing carbon dioxide emission from industry and power production. You know, it's for me, that's probably the most economically efficient way 
of reducing carbon emissions. But I think these marine plant environments are really important from a sort of multi-faceted way. So they have lots of environmental benefits, one of which is that they draw down CO2, but the other is that they support biodiversity, they can support, they can represent food stuff in their own right, but they also support other organisms that like fish and seafood that represent food. And they can present also support other marine industry like shellfish industry and mitigate the effects of climate change on those industries. So marine plants and algae and kelp are beneficial for all of those reasons, not just the, the CO2 drawdown issue. And also at the end of the day, when we're looking at extraction, I mean, does it really address consumption? If we're still emitting the same levels of carbon dioxide because of because of our consumption, I don't know if all the kelp farming and all the other methods in the world are really going to help. Yeah, I agree. I think it's behavior and our economic behavior, basically, and the way we emit CO2 is has to change. And things like blue carbon and kelp can have a small effect in mitigating that, but they can't be the, the only solution, really. I think a lot of the interest in these extraction methods come from business because it, in, in some ways, benefits them, right? Because then they could do the carbon credits and so forth. But absent of that, how do you think we can get businesses and governments on board, really, to fight climate change and to address these excessive carbon dioxide levels? I think... In- people that are interested in the environment and all of us have to just put pressure or political pressure on governments to take action. Governments are ultimately in service of their people. And so if people demand that their government take action to reduce CO2 emissions, they ultimately will do. And I think it's just a case of making the case that climate change is not just about changing the temperature of the summer by a couple of degrees, it can have really devastating effects on uh, food production, people's way of life, and uh, also on our environment that I think most people would find potentially intolerable. So I think it's up to all of us to really make the case that CO2 emissions need to be reduced. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you very much for having me. That was UCLA Assistant Professor with the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences, Robert Eagle. He spoke with Digital Villages, Leilani Elbano. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see, see you online. online.